I want to start tonight with a story. Uh, it's a kind of schoolyard story. How many of you remember, um, this might kind of show you my age, but remember a TV show and a radio show a few years ago called Confessions by Simon Mayo? Anyone remember that? Yeah, three of us. This is, anyway, the story's still funny, even if you don't know where it came from. Um, so there's some guys at school, and um, I'll tell you their names. Uh, Katie, James, Simon, and Alan. Um, and every day when they came to school... Uh, these Katie, James and Simon would have a packed lunch and every day Alan would want something out of that packed lunch. Do anyone know people who are like that? You bring in nice things and someone else wants them. Isn't it irritating? Isn't it really annoying? So after a while, Katie, James and Simon, they're like, okay, we've had enough. What are we going to do to teach Alan a lesson? So what they decide to do is they know that Alan really likes chocolate. So um, Katie brings in her packed lunch, and in the packed lunch, rather than a kind of bar of dairy milk, they put in a bar of laxative chocolate. It's not good. And, and so, and rather than wait for Alan to ask, they offer him the chocolate. I think this will teach him a lesson. This will show him that he can't keep taking our food. Um, Alan takes the chocolate, and do you know what Alan says? He says, well... I like this kind of chocolate. I like milk chocolate, but I prefer dark chocolate. How ungrateful is that? So the three of them feel even more kind of like we're doing the right thing, teaching this guy a lesson. So the next day, Alan doesn't show up at school. In fact, the next week, Alan doesn't show up at school. In fact, the next fortnight, Alan doesn't show up at school. It's okay. He's all right. It took him two weeks to recover from that bar of laxative chocolate. Um, (laughs) Sometimes teaching someone else a lesson doesn't quite go the way we anticipated. Sometimes taking revenge isn't such a great thing. You know, revenge is big business. Did we realise that? It's big business. Um, I found a website, and I'm not going to tell you the address, um, that offers to help you in taking revenge. Now, we're not talking assassins and hitmen or anything like that, um, but we're talking about sending bouquets of dead flowers to people who've hurt you. I mean, it's unpleasant, isn't it? I mean, kind of slightly funny, but in a weird way. Um, You know, anonymous letters to work colleagues who've stolen from your desk drawer. I'm not sure it's a great thing, if I'm honest. Um, And pranks to those who've pranked you. It's kind of, rather than you having to do the dirty work, we'll do it for you. I don't know what you think about that. I wasn't that impressed. My wife certainly wasn't, and then since blocked that website from my computer. (laughs) Not that I'm a man to take revenge or anything like that. Anyway... Um, The news is full of stories about revenge. You know, countries fighting countries, people suing other people for libel. I want us to watch a clip, it'll be this side, um, from a film called The Social Network. How many of you have seen that film or know about the film The Social Network? Okay. Um, Just a little bit of background. In fact, there's a documentary tonight on the guy Mark Zuckerberg who founded Facebook. um, And the film clip's about that. Can I just say at the start of, um, of this, there are a couple of words. One begins with F. Um, it's not a, a clip I would normally show in the morning, certainly. But just to warn you, that will come up. But the clip's really important. I think it makes a point. So why don't we watch the clip? Mark! Mark! He's wired in. Sorry? He's wired in. Is he? Yes. How about now? You're still wired in? You issued 24 million new shares of stock. You were told that if new investors came How much were your shares diluted? How much were his? What was Mr. Zuckerberg's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Mr. Moskowitz's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Sean Parker's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Peter Thiel's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. 
And what was your ownership share diluted down to? 0.03%. You signed the papers. You set me up. You're going to blame me because you were the business head of the company and you made a bad business deal with your own company. This is going to be like I'm not a part of Facebook. It won't be like you're not a part of Facebook. You're not a part of Facebook. My name's on the masthead. You might want to check again. It's because I froze the account? I think we were going to let you parade around in your ridiculous suits pretending you were running this company. Sorry! My prod is at the cleaners! Along with my hoodie and my fuck you flip-flops, you pretentious douchebag! Security's here. You'll be leaving now? I'm not signing those papers. We will get the signature. Tell me this isn't about me getting into the Phoenix. Yeah. You did it. I knew you did it. You planted that story about the chicken. I didn't plant the story about What's he talking about? You had me accused of animal cruelty. Seriously, what the hell's the chicken? And I'll bet what you hated the most is that they identified me as a co-founder of Facebook, which I am. You better lawyer up, asshole, because I'm not coming back for 30%. I'm coming back for everything. Get him out of here. It's okay. You know, the film, um, The Social Network, is, is based on how um, Mark Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook, um, was then chased and sued by different people for different things. And, and Mark and Eduardo, who you see, Eduardo was the guy kind of really mad. He, he and Mark were best friends. They are best friends. And yet now they're suing each other for hundreds, well, Eduardo is suing Mark for hundreds of millions of pounds. You know, Jesus talks about revenge and retaliation because it's something that the human heart knows all too well. That each of us, at some point and at some time, have felt that longing and desire to take revenge, however extreme and however bad. You know, revenge doesn't work. That's the thing. Jesus said revenge does not work. Revenge brings more revenge. Revenge tears apart friendships. Revenge leads to tragedy. Revenge means that wars begin and don't end. Revenge destroys family life, marriages, churches, businesses. It ruins the person seeking it as well as the person it's aimed at. It brings a paralyzing sense of guilt and shame. It never satisfies. Revenge does not work. I'm sure that many of us have known times in our lives when we've longed for revenge. Perhaps we've been hurt by a loved one, betrayed by a friend, slandered by a colleague. Maybe even today we feel the bitterness and pain caused by someone hurting us, by someone else's words and actions. You know, when we are hurt by someone else, we probably get anger towards them. And, and I recognize that what we're talking about tonight is a big topic. It's one of those big things that we have to wrestle with. You know, issues of justice, of retribution, of how do I deal with hurt in my own heart in a healthy way. That's why I think tonight when Jesus talks about um, this whole area, if you've heard it said, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, we'll hear it in the reading. When Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, Jesus wants to deal with this huge issue that starts in the human heart. So why don't we pray together before we read the passage, recognizing that we're dealing with something heavy, 
But let's look at it and see what the Lord might say to us tonight. Father, we invite you to come by your spirit now to speak to us, to open our hearts, to heal us, and to help us to live differently, that we might honour you in every way. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got a Bible, it would be great. If you haven't got one, there are some at the back. Um, We're turning to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing the Sermon on the Mount. We're reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. Let me read. You have heard that it was said, this is Jesus talking, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his, his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And when we hear those words... Um, the words of Jesus, we might be forgiven to thinking that this is crazy and dangerous advice. Turn the other cheek. Give up your coat. Go the extra mile. Love those who hate you. That doesn't sound like wise and sensible advice from Jesus. Um, and actually, in one sense, it is quite crazy advice. I mean, you know, at this time, Israel has many enemies. Let's talk about the context in, of, of the kind of where they were at that time. The Romans have invaded and occupied their land. The Romans, you know, came to bring peace, but the way they brought peace was by domination. That was their strategy. And they've come to occupy the land. They've brought harsh laws, harsh taxes. You know, you know that you're occupied if you were in Israel at that time. And within Israel, there are many dangerous groups. There are insurgent groups trying to rise up and take back Israel by force. In fact, Simon the Zealot, one of Jesus' own disciples, was part of this insurgent force who would use violence and what we would describe as terrorism to take back power. There were divisions within society. There was a minority of very rich and a huge majority of poor Um, Racially, there were tensions between different groups. There were religious factions forming within Judaism and elsewhere, opposing one another, fighting with one another. Politically, it was unstable. It was a real melting pot to be in, a really tricky place to live. And maybe for us today, we recognize some of that. You know, maybe we, we see revenge and vendetta still alive and active in our, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our families. You know, racial and religious tensions in our society. Are people rising up to fight back against perceived injustice? And there are parts of the world today, aren't there, that are experiencing literal oppression and occupation. And Jesus' teaching on this subject, as always, is really relevant today. I really believe Jesus is saying revenge does not work. I really believe Jesus is saying revenge does not work. It does not rebuild relationships or bring justice, because if it did, Jesus would do it. Jesus would have taken revenge if it was good for us. He didn't. It isn't. 
amongst Jesus' disciples, I said, were a terrorist and a tax collector. These two kind of embodied the injustice and the kind of hatred that was felt in Israel. These two groups kind of sought uh, to do things in a different way. The tax collector was hated by everyone. But they were trying to get rich at any expense. They were the, they were the minority rich. The, the terrorists, the, the zealots, was fighting and seeking to murder and kill um, to bring Israel back to who it could be. And actually, I think the truth is, is that most, if not all, of the disciples were expecting Jesus to come and, and take the Romans on, force to force, that there would be a new army in Israel that would take the Romans out and bring back their nation. I think we see that later on in the Gospels, Jesus time and time again having to remind them, but that's not the way that he came to do things. Peter himself on several occasions received rebukes in that form. You know, get behind me, Satan, as Peter was saying to Jesus, don't go to the cross. You know, Peter waved his sword and cut off someone's ear. Is this the time, Jesus, we're going to take it by force? And Jesus said, no, I'm going to be arrested and taken and killed. Not what Peter was expecting. So the passage splits into two sections, really. The first is where Jesus talks about, um, you've heard it said, um, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, um, but I say to you. And the second part, uh, second part is Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. So we're going to look at those two bits uh, uh, one by one. Firstly, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. You know, this is a key principle in Old Testament justice. You can find it in Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, um, along with a whole lot of other things. And basically, it's there to restrict justice, excessive reaction and excessive retaliation to a crime. So even a murder, it it says, you know, if if someone murders you, the the worst justice you can administer is to take take, take that, that person's life. You know, if... If, if you have one thing stolen from you, the most you can take back is one thing from them. The same thing, the same value. You can't do more. It can't become a cycle of revenge where, where, where you punch me, I kick you twice, and, and it, it goes from there. Do you see what I'm saying? Jesus is saying, well, the Old Testament said, for, for society to work, justice has to be fair and not excessive. But Jesus takes it further, and he wants to remove any right to vengeance from his people. He wants to say that, do you know, when we follow Christ, we lay down our rights. A lot of talk about human rights often, isn't there? But, you know, a follower of Christ is asked to lay down their rights. This might seem kind of where it gets hard to take. But I think that Jesus wants to see a new form of justice that we, as God's people, model and demonstrate to the world. You know, a justice that's creative and restorative, that loves the enemy as much as the victim. To illustrate this, Jesus looks at three different situations that include a violent insult, false accusation, and kind of literal oppression. Okay? So the first is this. Turn the other cheek. Jesus says, if I find the passage, Jesus said, "Um, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. I won't ask for a volunteer to do the demonstration. Um, But um, basically, to be hit on the right cheek, it involves a backhanded slap which is an insult. It's basically a degrading insult where the person doing the hitting is saying, you are less, less human than I am. You are less important than me. You don't matter. You're un, un, kind of unimportant. It's even saying that you're weak, useless, and subhuman. I hold you in kind of contempt. You know, it's the kind of slap that a Roman man was allowed to give to a child, to his wife, to his slaves to anyone who was below him in the social hierarchy. It was a sign of, I'm more powerful than you, who do you think you are? So it's not just about being hit violently, because actually, in the scheme of things, 
It's not the most painful thing to happen to you, but it's about being degraded and being told you are useless. And so when Jesus says, offer him the other cheek, he's saying, you stand back up, you don't punch him back, you don't go for him, but you rugby tackle him when he's not looking. You stand up and go, do you know what, if you want to hit me again, and by all means hit me again, you hit me on this cheek, on the left cheek, you hit me as an equal. I am as valuable as you, I'm as human as you, I'm as loved by God as you. So come on, hit me as an equal. That's kind, of brave. That's kind of a brave thing to do. I don't know if I'd be able to do that. But hey, Jesus is saying, stand your ground. Don't feel unafraid. Don't feel like someone can put you down. And for, you know, for these guys who he's listening to, they were Galileans. They were insulted and told they were thick and useless. And you, know, you could tell a Galilean coming because you can hear them speaking and all that sort of stuff. And Jesus is saying, you know what, guys? You're worth more than you think. Don't let someone put you down. Put you down. Don't be dragged into a cycle of violence and insults. Stand up. Be brave. Be courageous. It's hard teaching, but I think this is what Jesus is getting at. It's not about being a doormat, because it takes more courage to do this. I'm not saying necessarily when you're facing a gang of 20 people to stand up and go, okay, guys, take your best shot. Not saying that. That would be very unwise advice. At that point, I would run, and so should you. Um, What I am saying is, Jesus is making the point that we are valuable people. So when we know what it's like to be insulted so much that we're crying, when we know what it's like to be put down, Jesus is saying, you are valuable and worth it, and don't let someone else rob you of your worth. Second thing, the analogy of the law court. You know, a powerful enemy, Jesus is saying, is suing you, and he's, he's... He's he's saying he doesn't need your resources, he doesn't need what you've got, but he's taken your shirt, and so you say, well, have my coat. And that means you stand in a courtroom with nothing on the top. Because you'd say, look, this is the most ridiculous thing. This guy doesn't need what I've got, and he's taking all that I have. He's accused me wrongly, and you're just exposing that awful injustice. Again, I don't think it's a literal thing, but I think Jesus is saying, you know, when we see injustice, and when injustice comes to us, it's okay to stand up and say, This is injustice. This is wrong. Especially when it's for someone else. If you read the whole of Scripture, you see time and time again, God's people are called to stand up and be a voice for the voiceless. Speak out for those who can't speak for themselves. And you know, in the law of Moses, it's illegal for someone to take your coat. So in effect, what you're saying is, actually, what you're asking of me, you're asking asking for my coat, you're breaking the law of Moses. It's showing up for what it is, injustice. So it's not about being a doormat. I think that's what Jesus is saying. And finally, the third thing is is that Jesus talks about going the extra mile. And and what it is in Roman, Roman law, a Roman soldier could say to a civilian, right, here's my backpack, you carry it for a mile. For one mile only. And they could legally enforce that. You had to do it. If you were asked to do it, you had to do it. So you can imagine Jesus says, well, you've been given this heavy backpack for a mile. You've got to go out of your way, leave work, whatever it is to do this. Well, go the extra mile. Go for two miles. And you might think, this is ridiculous advice, Jesus. What on earth are you saying? But what Jesus, what Jesus is saying to his people and what they would know is that, actually, if you go the extra mile, you're making that Roman soldier break the law. Because even the Romans were human. They said you can carry the, they have to carry the bag for a mile, but no further. So can you imagine a mile comes and you keep going? And all of a sudden this Roman soldier is getting worried because if he gets caught by his commanding officer, he's in real trouble. So you now have the power. So you're walking with your backpack on. There's a Roman soldier chasing after you, telling you to stop. 
please stop carrying my bag. Please give it back. I'm not sure whether it worked out that way, but you kind of get the point is that you've shocked and taken away an oppressive power in a really creative and actually quite funny way. And Jesus is saying, I've come to bring a new kind of justice, a justice that's creative, that's restorative. I have not come to bring violence upon violence. I have not come to deal with the Roman, Roman Empire with violence as they've come with violence and domination to you. And Jesus says, bless those who persecute you. He says, be generous and creative in the face of oppression. You know, give to the one who asks you, in verse 42, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. How can we show the generous, outrageous, wonderful love of God to our enemies, to those who want to seek to oppress us, to those who smack us in the face and say you're less than human, to those who falsely accuse us and lead us to a place of injustice, to those who enforce their will and their way by power and might. How do we show the creative, restorative, wonderful justice and love of God to those people? And these are like little cartoons. Tom Wright, the Bishop of Durham, talks about them as kind of like little newspaper cartoons, if you like. Jesus is taking an image that they would know and, and trying to bring it alive to make them think, to make them wonder, how would that apply to my own place? Well, here are some suggestions. I think we're to be outrageously generous. To bless our enemies, to bless those whom at any human kind of level we, we should strike back. We're not only to not strike back, we're to do something more. So why not secretly bless those who bully us or speak ill of us? Put chocolates in their bag, in the wrappers so they don't melt. You know, we can think of ways of doing it, can't we? How about buying lunch for those who've beaten us in promotion and made us know about it? How about taking out for a coffee someone who's been gossiping about us behind our back. You know, we may well get rejected. And can I just honestly say that when Jesus gave this teaching, he didn't say, and life will be rosy. And it will always work out, because we know that's not true. And in fact, throughout the centuries, we've seen Christians stand up for these values. And for many of them, some of them, at different times, it's cost them all kinds of things, including their lives. People who've put this into practice, it's not easy. But it changes the world. Martin Luther King refused to go the way of violence. Gandhi, not a Christian, and you know, kind of some of his stuff didn't work out, but you know, refusing to fight violence with violence. It's a powerful thing to do, and it's hard, and it can get us in trouble, but it's the way that we're called to go for God's people. Can't get away from that. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I've got something more creative and more, more good than that. How about love your enemies? Jesus said, you've heard it said, love your neighbour but hate your enemy. Well, love your neighbour is, is the central command in Leviticus 19. It's one of the key things in the law of Moses. Absolutely, every Israelite would have known that. One of the key things. Jesus said himself, the greatest commandment, love God and your neighbour. You can't separate the two. Um, but hate your enemies was not a command in the Old Testament. You can find kind of hints at that in some of the Psalms, but I think that's more of a frustration and a longing for justice that's expressed in fairly meaty terms. 
Um, I don't think it's an Old Testament theme, um, though some of you may disagree. Um, You know, many people have tried to follow this bit of teaching in the past and have given up on faith because it's too hard to love your enemies. And I want to say it is. It's really difficult. In fact, it is impossible without God, I think, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Um, But I think even if we have a legitimate reason to consider someone an enemy, even if we've been badly wronged, Jesus calls us to love them and to pray for them. And if we stop at this point, if we stop at this point and go, well, we've got to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, let ourselves be hit a second time, um, kind of give our coat and our shirt in court, and go the extra mile, that seems like quite a heavy load, doesn't it? Is that fair to say? It seems like, man, I can't carry all of this. I don't think I can make it work. And I think that's true. It is hard. But I want to show you something that I noticed this time, and I think it's really important, that Jesus didn't just teach this. This embodied his life. Jesus embodied every single one of the things that he's telling us to do. And I wonder, with this bit of teaching, whether Jesus is saying, you're going to see me do this. This is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to respond to the Romans. This is how I've come to bring in salvation. So Jesus was mocked, he was slapped, he was beaten, and he didn't retaliate. When he was taken to the praetorium and beaten and whipped, he didn't retaliate. He stood firm in the face of violence and didn't once take revenge, even telling his disciples he could have called down legions of angels at any point, and he didn't do it. He was mocked, slandered, and insulted, and he responded with grace and truth. To those who rejected him, he still came for them and loved them. Jesus was arrested and falsely charged, and he didn't protest. He went willingly to a sham trial held in the middle of the night that would never have stood up in any normal Jewish court, was convicted and sentenced to death on a cross. The verdict had been arrived, the verdict had been decided before he even arrived. He knows what it is to be falsely accused. His response was to accept it and not fight back. He was made to carry the cross, go the extra mile until it broke him and someone had to do it for him. We know that Jesus chose to die on the cross, going the extra mile for us, that we wouldn't have to carry the burden of our sin ourselves. And Jesus loved his enemies and prayed for them on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. Jesus embodied himself. His teaching was not just idealistic. His teaching was his blueprint for his life. He lived it to the letter and calls us to follow and imitate him. We know that we will stumble and fall on the way, but guys, this is what we head for, to end the cycle of revenge and violence, to show there's a better way to, to, to fix relationships. That forgiveness, grace, and mercy, and love in the face of hatred always wins. Our Father in heaven loves everyone, it says. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect means whole, complete, not lacking in anything. It means if we imitate our Father in heaven, we'll love our enemies. You know, Jesus said he makes the sun rise on the wicked and the, and the righteous. He, he gives rain to the unrighteous and the righteous. You know, he treats everyone the same. There are no favorites. 
God has no favourites. God so loved the world. And tonight maybe you're here thinking, well, God won't love me because he's seen my heart. God won't love me because I hate someone else. And I believe the Lord tonight wants to say, I know your heart and I love you just the same. Come to me. Let me heal you. Let me start some creative, wonderful new thing in you tonight. We are to be different because Jesus is different. We aren't to take revenge or to retaliate because Jesus didn't take revenge or retaliate. We are to be radical in our response to insult and injustice because that's what Jesus was like. We are to show generous and outrageous love to those who have shown us the exact opposite. Wouldn't that shock and provoke a watching world? Doesn't that shock and provoke a watching world? Wouldn't that point to the wonderful love and peace that Jesus showed in his life, death and resurrection? Isn't this the way of the kingdom? It's not easy. It costs loads. But it's the way of the kingdom to forgive, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And I think tonight also an invitation once again to join in that journey of following Christ, of seeking to imitate him. For some of you, you've done it before and fallen off. Maybe you just thought, I can't do this, it's too hard. Maybe it's not related to this particular set of teaching, but just something else. I can't do it, it's too hard. Jesus said, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Maybe you're holding in your heart a sense of, I long to be able to forgive, but you know, I just don't know if I can. I believe the Holy Spirit gives us the power to forgive. Maybe you're longing in your heart to know that you can have the courage to stand up against bullies, against oppression and injustice. I believe the Holy Spirit gives us that.